Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to Memorial Weekend, which means it's a three-day weekend for folks. Um, obviously, uh, we'll thank everyone out there who served uh, and y'all deserve better health care and better supports. But that's for another show. Thank you, folks, please. Get out and enjoy the three-day weekend. It's going to be gorgeous in the state of Wisconsin. We often say it is not nice enough, long enough in the state. So please get out and enjoy Wisconsin. But I got to get to our panel. Priscilla Bort is with us. And Priscilla is the Movement Politics Director here at Citizen Action. Priscilla, good to have you. Thanks for having me. Happy Thursday or whatever day you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> happy three-day weekend um happy memorial day yeah 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 and at, at some point you know later on in our show we will talk about priscilla's love of legos she has we record on zoom and she has the most amazing <laughs> lego display in the background but for another day back to the introduction of this amazing panel robert craig our executive director who's with us every damn week robert good to have you uh Good to be here and happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. And please, we're memorializing something. And I would say that we can choose on Battleground Wisconsin to memorialize other people who have served the country who are not being memorialized sufficiently by our system at present. And with that, we are going to jump into we got a we got a really huge week, a uh, lot of topics going on that we want to get through. We are going to start by talking about the the debt crisis, there's a whole default crisis, a um, whole bunch of ways to talk about it. Um, but we're going to start with that. But before we do, I do want to preview, we're going to talk a lot about some some labor issues. Uh, the big strike that's going on with Kuna Mutual in Madison, or True Stage, as they apparently want to be called now. Uh, big news broke yesterday, too. Masterlock is shutting its doors in Milwaukee and outsourcing over 300 jobs. We'll talk more about that. There's a whole bunch that we have to talk about shared revenue and what's been going on in those discussions, and particularly the impacts on Milwaukee. Um, but folks, we're going to start talking national news because it's it's inescapable. We've been talking about this actually since last year, the debt ceiling. Uh, last year, we urged, particularly the Senate Democrats, to deal with this. This could have been dealt with when they had full control of Congress, um, and unfortunately, we didn't. But that is neither here nor there. Um, this has been setting up. Folks are talking about a June 1st sort of I guess you could say arbitrary deadline uh, on the debt crisis, but I, I just, I want to, I'm going to first go to Robert and then Priscilla. I want to get your thoughts on this. I am just apoplectically, <laughs> I can't even say it. I'm so upset and frustrated over this discussion because, well, one, like I said, we shouldn't be here, but the minute you end up here, it automatically gives way too much weight to what I see as like, like a hostage-taking kind of situation going on with the mega house Republicans essentially holding the country hostage over what they want. Robert, 
your thoughts first, Priscilla. I want you to follow right back up, but Robert, let's let's dive right in here. Um, we're we're essentially one week away from supposedly being in a in a crisis uh, that is seems to me unnecessary. And you know, it's an estimate by Janet Yellen. It could be the second, third, or fourth. It's not you know not going to happen if they don't fix this problem. And currently, next Thursday, a week from this recording. So you're right about what the Democrats could have done. I think this is an example of short-term political thinking. They didn't want the ads that would say you increased federal spending authority by whatever godzillion of dollars. And so therefore they set this up. Um, Biden at first said he wouldn't negotiate over this, that it was off the table. Um, but I think they're and, and did throw out that he could turn to the 14th Amendment, which says the president needs to uphold the faithful faith and credit of the government. Uh, there's a problem with what will the Trump Pact and Bush Pact Supreme Court and federal courts do with that. Um, but um, I think probably their polling indicated to them that they could they weren't going to get they weren't they, they would look like they were the problem if they weren't in negotiation. The problem with that, and so it's a dilemma for them, but the problem with that is it's allowed the Republicans to frame this as about spending and reducing spending when every Republican administration, the major ones, Reagan, W. Bush, and Trump have massively increased the national debt, and 40% of it is Trump's. They're not the party of fiscal restraint at all, but they are the party of not doing anything that helps middle and working class people and eliminates all the necessary roles of government developed in the 20th century. And the fact they're going to use crashing the whole world economy uh, uh, as hostage to get their way is stunning and so unacceptable and shows how much they will do anything to utilize power and break all norms if they need to do it. So, so exactly what you say. Robert, when when you said when I said, like, once you're in this, you get into this debate where you give undue merit to their argument and their argument, as you said, is all about they want to go and after spending complicit. and they want to cut. The they media, want to. Yeah. They want to cut things. And of course, as you, you were about to say, the media, of course, plays into it with its. They need both sides. Priscilla, your thoughts. Yeah, um, you know, as somebody who. Uh, like many people kind of get confused sometimes about all of this. I spent a little time this week Googling and it's funny, anytime you type in debt ceiling into Google, one of the first thing that comes up is what is the debt ceiling and why does it matter? So like the media, <laughs> that's, that's great. all of this is, is like, I'm not alone in this and uh, that feels good. Uh, and also, you know, people are capitalizing on that. Uh, Republicans are capitalizing on, oh, well, nobody really knows what's going on so we can slip in things and fight for fight for things using quotes uh for for things that make sense if you don't really know what's happening uh so it, it's frustrating to watch all of this play out uh and be like who what what is the solution what is actually gonna happen um and and watch both sides kind of like who's who's gonna do what who's gonna be the the bigger the stronger person in this fight so it's uh i'm glad that i'm not alone in the confusion but it's really frustrating that they're capitalizing off of this confusion on just all of the sides and i you, just would like it to be solved now <laughs> you know what's actually you you are raising here 
we need to be thinking of this as progressives, about the opportunity that the public doesn't track this. And the public is wildly open to radical reframing of things that are invented out of nothing, right, to rethink an issue. And we ought to be thinking about this, by the way, after we uh, win the 2024 elections and take back control about rethinking a lot of things, a lot of the things that we automatically hinder our ability to govern ourselves by rules that actually limit our power. Um, I, I want to get back to both of you on Robert's point, too, on this part about the spending, because if I'm Biden, I'm just, why is he not bringing back and saying, all right, uh, my centerpiece, I know you guys want these cuts and stuff. I want you to take the billionaire's tax. I want some revenue. I want you to go out the wildly popular revenue stuff. Cause if it's about the debt, not spending, right. It's re- it's about the debt ceiling. We should get some freaking revenue, progressive revenue from billionaires. That's wildly popular. Put that on the table. And of course they're going to say, no, keep doing this. I just feel like there's not enough from our side, from Biden, that's being put out there publicly about changing the debate on revenue. Uh, and so it just ends up being a spending cut discussion. Robert, your thoughts in Priscilla? And every time the media is a top the hour report and they go, it's about spending versus social programs. I know that's objectively, you know, objective reporting, quote unquote, that misleads the public. The standard for objective reporting should be does it inform or mislead the public about the basics of a debate? Now, as far as revenue, it's hard for the Democrats to get in, but they're, they're, when they use just the word revenue, no one knows what that means. You need to forward billionaires' tax, corporate yeah. taxes. Their legislation makes the Trump tax cuts permanent. There is no way to deal with the national debt if they actually believe that's a problem. I think that's a big lie. Uh, that is the Republicans without dealing with the fact that they have been removing corporate and and ultra-rich responsibility for this country for over 40 years since Reagan, and uh, for, as they have made most of the proceeds of the economy, as they rigged the economy, so much more of the money now than then is with those folks. And yes, it's a disservice not to make that really clear. All the Republicans say, just like Voss says, negotiations over on shared revenue, they say that's off the table. That's off the table. Okay, great. And and with that, folks, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, Priscilla, I'm coming back to you because I want your thoughts on this. And within the context of what you were suggesting, right, when the public isn't in has a hard time tracking this for obvious reasons, right, it creates this opportunity. So why not on our side be more aggressive in terms of um, talking about things like billionaires tax? Folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're talking about the debt ceiling debate that's been going on in Washington. Really good discussion around both just how challenging this is for most Americans to track this, which creates, unfortunately, huge opportunity for aggressive mega Republicans. And then also taking advantage of that situation. The mega Republicans have done a very good job of framing this as a discussion about spending only. Priscilla, your further thoughts. Yeah, I think this gives Dems and progressives a really good opportunity to work on their messaging and their branding and bring people in and find 
ways to not lay out this massive 10 point policy plan, but just explain, this is what the debt ceiling is. This is how we can get over it or move on or fix it. And this is why we want to do it that way. And I think uh, we get so quickly into overcomplicating things and feeling like we need to produce like these 50, 60 page papers on how to do all this. Like it's, it, it can be so simple. I often uh, uh, during the confusing times like this, think back to Elizabeth Warren's campaign uh, for president, especially now with like the two cent wealth tax and how easy that was explained. It's two cents on every dollar for people who make over 50 million a year. Easy. Like that made sense. So we can do it. We just have yeah. to actually take the time to do it and do it well. Uh, Robert. Um, I think that the 14th Amendment may, may need to be used. I'm very worried Biden to get a deal is going to agree to things that harm his reelection and harm the American people that he doesn't believe in. And that would lean into his old, you know, finding a deal in the Senate, uh, Joe Biden. But there's a lot of pressure on him, including from within the Democratic Party and from the business <laughs> leaders and corporate types that support uh, them to do that. I, 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 I want to interject here, from, Robert, Yeah, real quick, because I hear what you're saying. I just I do not see how in hell we're going to even get to a vote. I don't see how how the House Republicans are ever going to have anything that they can take back to their caucus. And by the way, if they have anything that's remotely something that they think they can take back to their caucus, Biden can't be reelected because he will have given away way too much. I don't see how there's we're even getting to a vote. Uh, I think the 14th becomes very real. And that's what I want to get to here and oh, go well, back to both say. of you. That, What's the end game? Yeah, let me just say something on that first. Uh, that you, they don't assume that most Republicans will vote for this. They need Democratic votes, which means it can't be that draconian. Because yes, the Progressive Caucus is not going to support it. McCarthy so, can't keep his leadership if there's not real. There cuts, is Robert. one theory of the case that Biden has played them. They know they can't crash the national debt, and therefore he's getting stuff out of the budget uh, fight that'll happen because they have to pass the budget um, in the fall. So that that would be the Biden is brilliant and he's cornered them theory of the case. Priscilla, final thoughts on this. Uh, what do you see as the end game here potentially? Do you believe? Uh, Biden's going to be in a position where he's going to be forced. And by the way, one final wrinkle on this is like constitutionally, he's like obligated not to allow the default really is my understanding. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to believe that, uh, he's going to stay strong and, and fight for what will actually help but i don't know since there is so much, it just seems like such a huge and it is not just seems like a big thing it is a big thing um and given the timing like he's gonna have to have a really uh long thought out process of okay if i do this will i get reelected next year uh so it's gonna be very interesting to watch how it plays out especially especially given the context of the election but i i think i'm gonna hold out on hope that he is gonna he's gonna do something good well I, I say hesitantly but i think that's where i am yeah look 
the, the truth of the matter is we're in a fluid situation. We don't know. So, folks, we're going to close with this. We ask that you reach out to your members of Congress and be clear with them, right? Especially if, if you have any members of Congress who are Democrats, right? No way. No cuts, right? And, and, and make sure that we're clear because we know the other side's really activated and motivated motivated by this. So our agency is always real. We'll have links there, right? And um, I'll drop in an image uh, with our podcast too that has a uh, uh, little script and info you can say. So, but folks, please get get involved. Talk to your members of Congress. Call your, call your, uh, uh, your two U.S. senators. Uh, let them know where you stand. With that, um, I want us to talk about what's going on in a similar kind of, I'll say it, financial screw job, uh, and that is state shared revenue and the whole discussions that we've been talking about for a number of weeks in terms of um, both the overall package that first of all came out of the assembly where Speaker Voss declared he was done negotiating, uh, both in terms of it's the overall package, but particularly uh, how it impacts Milwaukee, both as it relates to increases in um, uh, what I would describe as regressive taxes uh, that have to go to a referendum. And so I want to get both of your thoughts on this sort of latest wrinkle this week. Um, both we've now have LeMayhew being pretty clear that He's open to negotiations. He thinks we shouldn't have the referendums because he thinks there's a good chance it won't pass. Thus, you're not really helping Milwaukee. Um, and that would be the Senate Majority Leader. Correct. Senate Majority Leader Devin LeMahieu. So there's still a lot of leverage, a lot of play here to go. And of course, don't forget, we got a governor involved in all this who did say he'd veto what came out of Voss's uh, operation. So that being said, it's led to a real debate here in Milwaukee around one, you know, when did we go to, you know, why, why is this movement away from having the people vote on whether they want a regressive uh, tax increases? Um, and then two, quite frankly, the Voss deal, it's like, not only is it a regressive tax increase, right? It, it, it's something where there's a lot of strings tied to how the money's actually got to be spent. So you have virtually no say over it. Um, Priscilla, uh, obviously we've been real out front and we've been talking a lot about a lot of the poison pills, uh, cops in schools, other things. Um, your thoughts on this discussion, this debate that's playing out both between Republicans and Democrats, but also within the city of Milwaukee disagreement over whether we should go to referendum. Yeah, um, I uh, think that I'm just I'm kind of surprised, uh, for lack of a better word, that we got to a point now where we're thinking of getting rid of referendums, like not just this one, but just not having referendums in general and taking away like we have a vote. I know they're non-binding, most of them, but like it tells us a lot of things. Those referendums are so important to get everybody uh, everybody's thoughts because we know these leaders aren't listening to their constituents. So this is one of the ways that their constituents can be like, yeah, no, I agree with this referendum or I don't agree with this referendum. Uh, so, and once again, it's coming all down to Milwaukee. We've seen this, we've seen 
Oh, so many pieces this week on why Milwaukee is the problem in the whole state. And we've seen people on both sides be like, yeah, Milwaukee is uh, terrible. Shout out to Dan O'Donnell and, you know, Wisconsin right now. Uh, and then a lot of people being like, yeah, no, this is why I love Milwaukee. Uh, so <laughs> including a- uh, Mark Baden. Did yes. you, I don't know if you caught that. Mark yes, Baden, Mark Baden, the weather guy. Why does everybody hate yes. Milwaukee? I don't understand this yeah. hatred for Milwaukee. It's a wonderful place. Yes, it's Mark like Baden the weather has... guy's upset. <laughs> yes, when you get the wonderful Mark Baden upset, you know something's <laughs> happening. Uh, but yeah, if you get a chance, go check out Mark Baden's uh, Twitter exchange with Dan Schaefer of the uh, Recombobulation area. Uh, both are talking about Milwaukee. Uh, both talk about it in a suburban perspective and how they love Milwaukee. Uh, but yeah, this has been a, just a wild week so far of a lot of hatred towards Milwaukee, a lot of confusion towards Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee's getting a lot of hate that it doesn't doesn't need. Yeah. And, Pris- and Priscilla, you rightly bring up right, like, look, I get, I get why some leaders don't want to go to a referendum. They want the money. They want it now. They don't want to go into financial, but like. There's so many damn strings attached to this money. It's a regressive tax. The idea that we just don't give us the shared revenue that we deserve in Milwaukee, that the city needs, and that every community should get the shared revenue that they deserve and need, right? Instead, uh, to just sort of land these regressive tax on, uh, on our community with all the strings attached that are certainly in the Voss thing seems highly undemocratic. Robert, your thoughts on on all of this? Here's the thing about referendums. Uh, They have a bad odor in a way because they were part of the the whole, you know, strangulation of school districts uh, by the Walker administration and the Republicans in that you also had to get permission to get a little more revenue when the state was underfunding you, right? And so that's why you've had all these refer- school referendums around the around the state constantly. On the other hand, this bill by uh, this is a critical point Priscilla just made bans advisory referendums. So they don't really believe in referendums. This offers Voss the opportunity to say Milwaukee didn't get it because Milwaukee voted against it, while setting it up in a way that we are taking away your home rule and making you do unpopular things with it. And then you have to some have some find some way to pass it. So I know we're getting to a break, Matt, but I want to get to after the break, why the Democrats, uh, the mayor, the county executive, others are opposing a referendum and what that says about their strategy and about blocks uh, uh, speaking out against that. We'll talk about that right after this break again you're listening to the battleground wisconsin you can find us all over the socials that means facebook instagram twitter and you can find us at citizen welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we are talking about the very very important shared revenue discussion that's going on in madison and in all of our communities, because it's so critically important. And Robert, before the break, you were about to get into and tell us a little bit more about why the sudden change or sudden, excuse me, may not be accurate, the evolving change uh, over the last few years of the position of, of a referendum or no referendum. The reason uh, Mayor Johnson 
and um, County Executive Crawley. Uh, I don't want a referendum is because it might not pass because it forces all sorts of unpopular spending and takes away a lot of home rule from a city that already has less than most major cities in the country. And so it's a poison pill. But on the other hand, Block has, and Angela Lang, the executive director, who is the one group I know of, and maybe there are others in social media, Priscilla and Matt uh, track the socials, as Matt calls them, more, but that I've seen in media, which is not mean everyone, who are calling this out and saying that the voters absolutely should decide. And uh, she makes a point, but she actually wants the consent of people. She is not talking about, she is not just using referendums as a political tool. The Republicans don't give a damn. They're minority rule, okay? That's what the gerrymandering is about. And what's interesting is, is that a lot of Democrats are critical of this, but they feel like this is, they need to have some level of party unity that it would damage you know, the, the coalition with the governor, with the mayor and county executive. And so they're silent in the media. In fact, I heard a complaint from a major leader last night who called me about this. Uh, but this is the role of nonprofits and, you know, civil democracy is that sometimes we can speak the truth where elected officials feel they cannot. And so that's great. But at this point, my concern, Matt, to pitch it back to you and, and Priscilla, is by making it all about uh, whether it's a referendum or not, they've taken uh, focus away from the bad deal, which is literally if you're starving and they're starving you, they're denying you food, they give you enough food to keep you going, but then force you to make all sorts of concessions of your freedom in order to get that, right? And so they really should be focusing on a deal that could pass a referendum, not trying to get anything they can and looking like hostages. That's why Voss is so strong. Voss sees the fear in their eyes, in my opinion. Priscilla, I'd love we're going to close and give you an opportunity to close on this. Uh, to me, I was, Robert, I called you last week. I was so pissed off because I felt like Devin LeMayhew was fighting harder than our city officials were at first, since they immediately misread everything. And a couple of them were even supportive of the initial Voss thing, like a day or two as at, I think even before it came out. Um, so, uh, but here's the problem, as you said, we're now to the point where it's very clear that's all Devin LeMay who had probably has an issue with is, is this referendum issue, which is not the whole problem. And, and, and it is completely talk about move the goalposts. Uh, and it, so that's very frustrating. Priscilla, you get final word on this before we move on. Yeah. Um, it's funny to hear uh, Republicans talk about uh, compromise and use that word so much. I mean, LeMahieu uses it all all the time, uh, but it's they're so picky and choosy about what they're going to compromise on. But we have to compromise on everything, but they don't have to. Uh, so I'm I'm anxiously watching how this one's gonna gonna turn out. You know, I've got. I've got more faith in the governor than I that I used to have for sure in in hearing that like he's committed to vetoing uh, this this pieces of of the budget and I hope that he sticks to that uh, and that we can solve some of these Milwaukee uh, things and just make sure that we're talking about Milwaukee in a nice way again because it's a great city to be in. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and hey, again, folks, get out and enjoy not only Milwaukee, but the whole state this three-day weekend. It's going to be beautiful. And let me just say, you know what? I think a lot of folks, they like to tell you where the weekend, who are the folks who brought you the weekend? <laughs> the labor movement. And that is uh, the topic I want to switch to. Um, a few weeks back, I believe it was about a month ago now, we had um, Joe Avica, who's the chief steward uh, for OPIU, Local 39, Cooney Mutual uh, facility, which is on strike this week. It is um, in the middle of a name change, which is um, challenging <laughs> as far as identifying who the workers are. But let me say, uh, the work, they're, they're, they're in the middle of a name change this week. So the workers are using maximum leverage. Um, and there was big news this week. Uh, they just voted with a much larger majority, by the way. So the workers are getting stronger uh, to extend the strike into next week. And um, this is big news. In addition, the other news yesterday, Masterlock, which is a what used to be a huge company here. They're down to about 300 employees that work at the uh, plant in Milwaukee announced they yesterday they are outsourcing all of those jobs. Everybody, they're basically they're going to shutter. Uh, you know, what is a historic uh, um company here uh, in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee. Uh, and the reason I'm tying these two stories together is because that is the very number one issue in the strike is outsourcing, is outsourcing of their jobs, contracting out. I was out at the picket line yesterday on Wednesday, and I interviewed a number of those workers. I am terribly sorry to say Unfortunately, the audio was, was terrible, and I can't bring it to you today, but I can tell you every one of them talked about outsourcing. They talked about how this company is deliberately weakening and destroying the power of the workers and them by contracting out and outsourcing jobs. They, there used to be 1,700 workers. They're down to under 500. They've all been outsourced. And so this is the same deal as Masterlock. So it doesn't matter, folks. You can work. You know, a lot of people used to think these were like factory jobs got outsourced. No, they're outsourcing everything. And so these two things are much aligned. Robert and Priscilla, your thoughts. Robert, I'll go to you first, then Priscilla, on, on both of these topics. Uh, and just, and then in addition, I, I won't add in, uh, we, we could talk about what's going on with the Starbucks workers and the harassment of their organizing drive um, in Madison. Robert, your first thoughts on these labor topics. And people forget the history back when labor was very strong and it was killed by conspiracy. It did not naturally, people didn't stop, stop, stop wanting unions. And in fact, it's one of the main reasons we have massive economic inequality and income inequality in this country and why one of the major ladders to success for people of color, especially in Milwaukee, it's part of the debt crisis, the, the whole shared revenue crisis, the why Milwaukee is poor is because of this, uh, was the destruction of labor and outsourcing. And it was done with government support, folks. So just understand that when you operate on the theory that giving rich people and corporations more money back will cause them to invest 
in the United States and existing workers, it is a lie. And this is funded with the Trump tax cuts, folks. This is a this is still a large company, Matt. It just doesn't manufacture much here anymore. And so the very profitable, very highly profitable. And so you have to have a policy like Franklin Delano Roosevelt did and Harry Truman did that uses the leverage of government to make sure they invest here in high paying jobs. And Milwaukee was one of the most prosperous cities in the country and had the most prosperous African-American middle class and working class in the country in the late 70s before we had the mass deindustrialization brought on by Reaganism, folks. So what we have to hope for is we, we change labor law, we, we use all the leverage of government, which Biden has been trying to do, Manchin's been trying to play defense on this and put actual incentives that say you have to go union to get the whole tax break, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of the climate investments and other things. And so we need to do all that. And then there will be a lot of strikes because often that's a way workers can exert power. Okay, you will not pay us fairly. You will not meet our concerns. Then we will harm you economically as you are harming us until we reach a settlement. And so this is, so kudos to the Kuna workers. And then furthermore on Starbucks, obviously this is what happens now. Uh, the baristas get harassed by a massive corporation that has a lot of power to intimidate and create fear when they try to take, to, to take control of their own lives and have democracy at work. Priscilla. Yeah, um, it's always uh, interesting when uh, scabs and whatnot and people like Howard Schultz uh, hmm. from Starbucks uh, talk about how inconvenience uh, strikes are. Like, yeah, that's the point of a strike is that you're supposed to take notice. There's supposed to be inconvenience because the workers are being constantly inconvenienced all the time. Uh, so there is power, the, the union power is is growing slowly but surely unions uh, and their power coming, coming back. Uh, of course, we gotta thank the unions for the three-day weekends, for the weekends in general <laughs> and the three-day uh, weekends. But I, I love watching all of these workers really find their own and be like yeah no we're not taking this anymore this is unfair this is wrong uh just it's 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 great to watch just ordinary people everyday people that you interact with if you happen to go stop at starbucks if you have a doctor's appointment uh if you are watching something on netflix and you're like oh who wrote this uh this is the point of strikes they are working uh, keep it keep it up if you are a union worker listening. Um, we we appreciate you very very much. Yeah, and we will have a link where you can donate to the strike fund for the for the folks in Madison. Um, but with that, we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are talking about the labor activity going on, and in particular in Madison, the, the strike that as of this week has now been extended into next week. Um, again, uh, I was out in Madison this uh, yesterday talking to workers, and I want to share a couple of really important stories because I think it's important for all of us as progressives to understand uh, that this doesn't happen uh, a strike like this in a right to work state. Let's let's remember that we are a right to work state. 
um, without regular people coming together, organizing, meeting, putting in the hard work to build their union and make their union strong, having meetings and conversations. And what I learned from talking to a number of workers was one, there's a cadre of really amazing leaders who work very hard and work very hard to engage their coworkers constructively. And two, the company overstepped its boundaries. It fired a worker and it made everyone realize that the outsourcing that they're all afraid of, could, if it could happen to the chief steward, it could happen to anyone. And it galvanized. So there was a moment and they responded in the moment and rose up and rose to the moment, even though a lot of them, it's hard to go on strike. I talked to somebody who admitted to me that he scabbed the first two days because he is so financially hurting and he realized it was wrong and he joined the picket yesterday. Powerful, powerful stuff. Um, folks, if you are in a union and you feel like your union's not what you want it to be, take responsibility for that. Don't be a pundit. Don't blame it. Start organizing in your place, right? That's what it takes to make a powerful shop, right? And these workers are to be absolutely commended to step up and take on this very powerful and very popular company within Madison. It's, has, it has a long history and bring to life this issue of outsourcing that we are all feeling it doesn't no, ma it, no matter where you are. So please support these workers. It's super important. Stop being pundits. Get involved in our democracy. There's nothing more democratic important than a, a worker strike on behalf of all of us. Robert, final say on this as it relates to Master Lock. Yeah, um, they'll be hand-wringing about jobs on the north side of Milwaukee and the black community. We have the worst racial disparities in the country uh, between white people and black people in the Milwaukee metro area that we lost these jobs. And it, we need to understand we caused it with our economic policies that actually enabled it, allowed them to do it. And furthermore, the solution is partly labor law reform because Biden is the first president to really be behind that. But we need um, we need to either get rid of the filibuster or have a majority that could do it, hopefully in the next term. Uh, but then the other thing is there's a huge opportunity. Understand that the Green New Deal framework, which is underwrites, I agree with AOC, the Inflation Reduction Act, tries to make all the new green jobs that need to be created, because we have a shortage, we're not going to meet the climate crisis without training a lot more people. If you do it in an equitable way that makes it this opportunity available to marginalized communities, then you can create the new industrial jobs, the new great engine for the middle class and rebuilding what's been done the last 40 years. So we need to focus on that and the climate and equity plan coming out in Milwaukee very soon as the solution, because Master Lock, unfortunately, is out the door. Right. And, uh, and their workers are in Mexico and I'm sure other places as well. Two final things we want to uh, talk about or at least uh, discuss before we go. One is um, it is the three year anniversary this week of uh, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, and it's really, really important to reflect upon that, especially given the conversations we've been having and experiencing living in the state on uh, through the Supreme Court race and just sort of feeling like 
things have been rolling backwards, unfortunately, and not making progress. I think it's important to for us to honor that anniversary and recommit ourselves to like continue to push forward, push back against that rollback about what makes us safe. Um, Priscilla or Robert, I just wanted to give either of you an opportunity to comment on this um, important anniversary. Yeah, um, I think you you said it well uh, to to reflect um, on what what you can recommit, uh, where you can do what you can do where you can show your support you know we have the three-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder we have the one-year anniversary of uh, Uvalde uh, and really just thinking about who is keeping us safe how can we be be safe what do we need to do what is safety mean for me and my community versus other communities um and really just a lot of a lot of reflection that can be had uh during this particular time of of the year uh would also love to really you know keep planning on how we can stop having these anniversaries of of things where uh, children and innocent folks are just murdered for no reason other than we need to have a better and safer and non-discriminatory safety system. Yeah, so a lot of reflection. I'm planning to do a lot of reflecting on it these next couple of days for sure. Well, look, this is about democracy because if we had one, we would take real action. And so the shocking disconnect, and in fact, states moving the opposite direction to kind of reflect on that. And everyone thought that with every horrible incident, people think, well, this is the one. It tells you how powerful ideology is, how uh, and how ruthless those who are willing to hold power by minority rule are and by the structural mechanisms opposed to actual popular consent. Uh, and so, and and the, the the base supporters that back them up are impervious to new information. So progressives need to stop trying to provide them with facts and understand that folks are in a cult functionally, and they're they're going to uh, simply reinterpret all facts to support their existing belief. Okay, and so that's scary about humans, but that is the case. Where we go. We must start to just take a long-term look into 2024 because <laughs> how could we not? Folks, we're recording Thursday morning and um, <laughs> we're still smelling the fumes of the meltdown that was Ron DeSantis's Twitter announcement. Um, I'm joking because it's to me a metaphor, I hope, for the campaign, but in all seriousness, this is a very formidable, formidable MAGA type candidate who gets in. And I know everyone thinks Trump is unbeatable, and that may be. But um, this is like, it's literally like this. It's like Trump. If you could recreate Trump, it'd be DeSantis, Priscilla. <laughs> Are you excited uh, or terrified yeah, <laughs> that Ron DeSantis <laughs> is finally in? 
Please finally in. Uh, I I like when people finally decide that they're gonna get in, uh, no matter what side they're on. As somebody who just wants people to like just make the plunge, uh, and stop waiting around. Uh, I am I'm happy that Trump has an opponent and that they can just do all their fighting over there, uh, and that Dems can just kind of have their lane, uh, and be like, all right, cool, they're fighting on that side, and we're we're just gonna find our own and gather our support. Uh, you know, if it were me, uh, I'd want to launch in person and be able to show that I had a big crowd of people uh, coming out to support me. But uh, clearly, uh, DeSantis uh, was maybe a little too nervous that nobody would come. And so he decided he needed to do it on Twitter, uh, where you can't even really have like a live video. Uh, so cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad, <laughs> glad that he and Trump and everybody else on that side can all just spend their time arguing and they can do that. And then we'll just concentrate on finding voters. Well, uh, yeah. Priscilla, I appreciate anything that also takes a tweet at the choice of the platform for the lack of quality of that platform's ability to perform. Robert, I think maybe all we need to know about Ron DeSantis is he chose to like announce with the least popular guy in the country right now. Good Lord. Come on, Robert, close us out. Your thoughts on Mr. DeSantis jumping into the race? Well, all the pundits and all the people who run campaigns are jumping on, and Trump is effectively jumping on. And we've known for a while that he wasn't ready for prime time, that he doesn't like uncontrolled situations, that he's heavily scripted, that he's awkward. And then their attempt to solve this with another awkward man, Elon Musk, blew up in their face. Uh, but here's the question, right? None of the candidates for the Republican nomination have figured out how to cope with Trump. And Trump is eviscerating uh, the pseudo-Trump, as I think Trump called him, something like that, or the fraudulent Trump, uh, Ron DeSantis. So the question really becomes, uh, will you know Merrick Garland or the district attorneys in Fulton County or in New York save them by removing Trump from the field? Or will Trump clean their clock again? Because no one wants to get in the ring with him. He's Mike Tyson plus, to use a boxing metaphor. Well, folks, I'm going to wrap up this show. Again, get out of your house. Go outside. It's going to be gorgeous. Just gorgeous this weekend. I'm looking forward to floating down the Wisconsin River America's paradise, 90 miles of just gorgeous, gorgeous river. Priscilla, Robert, I hope you enjoy your weekend. Please get out. Folks, support those workers in Madison. Go to a picket line, donate, and get back out on the line with them next Tuesday because they'll be back out unless you hear news otherwise this weekend. With that, folks, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin, uh, and we'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.